You're listening to a previously recorded episode of The Nooner Show with Jackie and Denise. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. Tell me you love me. I need a good laugh. I'm holy water. You need a good bath. Whiskey and perfume. You had a nightcap. Now how about that? A perfect stranger, he's got a bullet with your name in the chamber. I'll body organ, rearranger, you feel my danger. This time I'm a bitch, can't so last for all your excuses. Keep coming faster, but your mouth cannot want my blaster. This time a bitch, can't so last for Nooner time. Welcome to the Nooner Show with Jay Dubs and Denise Brennan Nelson. We are broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios high above Activate Gaming in Ferndale, Michigan. You can find us at DetroitPodcast.com. It's Nooner time. Somebody bring me a mirror. Happy Hump Day. How you doing, Jessica? Happy Hump Day. I'm good. Another Wednesday. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Another Wednesday. And, Wednesday. Oh, boy, am I loving this summer weather. What about you? It's gorgeous. I love it. But you know what? I haven't been out on the water yet. So, what? Yeah, I know. I've turned down a few different like boating outings with my other boss or whatever because he's got a boat there. And I'm like, no, no, not today. And now I'm like, man, I really want to go on the water. <laughs> you need to. Summer's going to be over, and uh, yeah, you're exactly. Be in the. We're going to have snow, and you're going to be wishing for right. you know, weather like this. And all the boats will be winterized. So yeah, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll have to take them up on that this weekend. I think actually. Yeah, you should do that. It's supposed to be, you know, as you know, super right. hot, and which is perfect water weather. I agree. You get hot, you jump in, climb yep. out, lay out. Cool Jump off. back in. Yeah, have a beer. <laughs> yeah. um, so you see the empty seat sitting here, right? I do. <laughs> and, you know, Jackie's not a ghost, so she's not here with us today. And it is weird, isn't it? It is. Jackie, I, feel, I, I really feel like something's missing. Right. I've had to, I've had to uh, miss a few shows, and I don't think anything about it. But when Jackie can't be here, it's, um, it's kind of a weird feeling. Oh, now that the shoe's on the other foot, you're like, you know what? This is strange. I know. I think I'm being a good influence on her, though, don't you think? Yeah. You know how she's always ribbing me for, yeah. for not working in the summer? Yeah, but you know what? Everybody needs a little downtime, so there's that. I know. Well, and, and she would be here. She would love to be here, but she's just got so much going on, and so we're going to do this ourselves. We can do this, right, Jessica? Oh, yeah. 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 We've got so, this. Yep. Put on my big girl <laughs> pants. And I am really excited about We're not even going to do a whole lot of bantering because our guest today uh, has such an amazing story that I really want to get right to it. So we're going to go right to our favorite segment, which is What's the Wish? What's the Way? And it is designed to showcase the stories of talented and gutsy individuals who had a wish and found a way to make it happen. They set goals, overcame obstacles, and turned setbacks into comebacks. Their stories are unique, interesting, and most of all, inspiring. And we have a very inspiring story today. At the age of 38, Fred Nealis, an avid and passionate swimmer, was diagnosed with a rare progressive heart disease. In 2011, he was forced to stop swimming. It wasn't until three years later that he got the call he'd been waiting for, a heart was available. In June 2014, doctors replaced Fred's heart with the heart of a 32-year-old man. But here's the kicker. An old acquaintance of Fred's with a genetic disorder that was slowly destroying his lungs had also gotten a call for a lung transplant. Nielis and his friend received transplants on the same day in the same hospital from the same donor. Uh, here to tell us his amazing story is Fred himself, and he's here with his wife Jean, who says she's not going to talk. But I'm going to I'm going to try to pull a few things out of her because you wouldn't probably be here without her. Is oh, that a no, true no. statement? That would be fair to say. Jean has been uh, very uh, supportive and. Uh, 
uh, just a, a, a shoulder to cry on when I needed to. Absolutely. So there's a lot to this story, a lot of little fingers, but I want to start off. You were only 38 years old. That's right. And you were diagnosed with, you You say it because you it's, probably have it better than I do. It's idiopathic cardiomyopathy, which basically is an injury to the left ventricle, which is the pumping chamber of the heart. And uh, it, it generally, it, it depends on the type of injury, if it's an acute injury or a chronic injury. And mine apparently was fairly chronic. And so when I first met with the cardiologist that evening on January 7, 1994, and Gene was in the room with me, and we've since named this particular individual Dr. Frank and Ernest. He, <laughs> he came in and uh, and said, well, I, I have a couple of things to say. First off, I've read your chart, and you have a 15% chance of recovery, but more than likely you're going to need a heart transplant. So I said, ooh, that's a little bit to take in about 30 seconds, and he was gone. So hence, Frank and Ernest. Wow. So that was my first night in the hospital. I got quite an introduction, and so my stay, mercifully, only lasted another three or four days, and then I was out on the uh, recovery stage, and uh, my internist uh, directed, arranged for me to meet uh, at or have an appointment at Henry Ford because Beaumont Hospital had just stopped their transplant program, and he thought it would be prudent to at least start the process for my uh, recovery as one of the options for my recovery is is a transplant, and so. Uh, after leaving the hospital, I ended up coming over to Henry Ford and uh, entered their program, which they were starting, and they had some of the folks from uh, Beaumont had moved over to Henry Ford. And then uh, at the end of January, I had my first consultation with uh, the staff there, and I went through uh, a three-day ordeal that... uh, basically categorize strengths and weaknesses for transplant and psychological evaluation, pastoral care, uh, physical, you know, they did all the diagnostic tests again. Uh, met with a surgeon, a psychiatrist, uh, you know, went through the insurance things. But for some reason, it took three full days to do this. And I was somewhat surprised because I was stuck here. <laughs> It, it, in Detroit, when you first heard you needed a transplant, because you were you weren't feeling terrible. I mean, you had 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 some symptoms, but were you shocked? What was your thought when you heard you need a heart transplant? I mean, that's a big deal. That was that was a, a big denier. I definitely was type A there in denial. And you um, thought, no, I don't. My heart's fine. No, no, I didn't say that my heart was fine. I what the condition I was in felt like I had pneumonia. Okay, and basically I couldn't take any deep breaths, and I had no um, get up and go. Uh, but that was primarily because the, actually there was fluid in my chest cavity, and it was encompassing the the heart, and and when the pressure's on the outside of the heart. It makes it harder for it to pump, and so what it does is it engages or it, it elongates the muscle tissue in the left ventricle, and it gets flabby, and so it can't constrict as well as a normal person's is. So, one, what I had was an ejection fraction. That's what what you call a, the functioning capabilities of the left ventricle. I had a, a functioning capability of ten percent. Whereas a normal person is between 55 and 60. So it would take me five heartbeats to pump as much blood as a normal heart. Wow. No wonder you were tired. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, but but I was was tired, but, you know, I I wanted to, uh, it, it is a muscle and it was injured. And once they basically addressed the fluid issue. I lost eight pounds as soon as I started the diuretics overnight almost. So I was just in the john all night. 
<laughs> so I felt a whole lot better the next day already. Okay. okay. And it was pretty, pretty um, definitive change in how I felt in the pressure in my chest. So they still kept me for four days, and then I went home and then um, scheduled, um, as I said, the uh, consult in Detroit. And then I had, um, uh, well, basically my internist then passed the baton to the heart program, heart doctors, the cardiologist at uh, Henry Ford. And so they had a little bit different approach than I was thinking about. <laughs> like what? Well, I I was I was swimming on a Monday and diagnosed on a Friday. Wow. And I said, well, you know, um, that's where I really want to be is back in the pool. And they said, under no circumstances are we going to allow that. We want you to do cardiac rehab. And I thought, oh, I don't know what kind of a torture that'll be, but I'm <laughs> yes. sure th- I'm sure that's going to strain my brain. And uh, well, I, I started out doing it, but, you know, the pool and the hospital are just across the parking lot. And so after cardiac rehab, which I dutifully went to three days a week, I would slip into the pool and start swimming again. And then they got wind of that, so I had to come back to Detroit. <laughs> you were trying to trick them. <laughs> and get a good tongue Sneaky. lashing, not only from my wife, my mother— who's a nurse, and the doctors, of course. So uh, I, I tucked my tail underneath and uh, headed back home again and uh, made a solemn promise not to uh, get back in the pool for a while. So a couple questions come into mind. One, how long did you feel crappy before you – let me, let me ask you this. Did your wife take you, make you go to the doctor's? Oh yeah. Well, oh, she's shaking she, her head. Yeah. So don't deny it. She Fred. insisted. She insisted, but I wasn't in any position to put up a fight anymore. Oh, okay. So it, how long had it been that you were feeling crappy? Well, terribly crappy since the first of the year. So it was. Wow. Six seventh. months. No, no. Oh. No, I meant. Excuse me. Since the first of January, I should have said. So. But it wasn't until New what? Year's Eve. <laughs> and when did were you diagnosed? The seventh. Oh, okay. But that was really terrible. I mean, I was. But, I couldn't even lay down. That's oh, how terrible I was. I mean, because. But I, for how many months before that were you thinking, huh, "I'm kind of tired," or "I can't swim as fast or as long"? Yeah. Uh, well, I did a triathlon in June. Okay. That summer, previous summer, so it was the June of uh, June of '93, and it was open water swim. I didn't do the rest of it; just the open water swim. And I got in that cold water, and all of a sudden, I said. Good Lord, I've never felt this terrible in my life. I was hoping I would make it. It was only 800 yards, but I was thinking, man, something is really terribly wrong. And so I got out, and I had made an appointment to see my internist then, but, you know, there was nothing that was, um, nothing really came up in the discussion or any of the diagnostic stuff he did. In the fall, I, I, I perceived that I, had symptoms such as pneumonia where you couldn't take a deep breath mm-hmm. and you were tired. And so I was treated for that, um, you know, through, through uh, antibiotics, but I continued to spiral downwards. And it was really the last week. I mean, I, I was just absolutely miserable. The, I was functional up until about New Year's Eve. But you're, you were only 38, so it wasn't – usually, you know, we're not thinking about yeah, our hearts or – don't think of that at all. Those kinds of things that early – and I think probably, you know, listeners can already tell. I mean, you're – and I should describe you. I mean, you're a very healthy-looking man. You're, you're slender. Yeah. You are – you were and still are very, very active, which we're going to talk more about that as this interview goes on. So you you weren't you weren't just you know on the couch. I mean, you were no. out there doing things. I, as I said, I was swimming on the Monday before my diagnosis, and on that Friday, I was in the hospital. Okay. So I I, I did get up to the end. I, I was healthy. Um, one of the things that probably hampered my uh, the discovery of cardiomyopathy was. One of the emergency room docs I swam with 
and he was always somewhat impressed with my performances. And he said, there's no way that he could be doing what he's doing and swimming as fast or as long with cardiomyopathy. So it really was never oh, a first primarily thought. It was a pneumonia or bronchitis or some advanced lung infection of some sort. But so he was he was surprised when we actually did a um, did the diagnostic tests and found out from a um, echocardiogram that uh, it was in fact the problem. Okay, so you deal with that. You're 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 doing the rehab. Yep. You've gotten the lo- the fluid out of your lungs. You're feeling a little bit better. How long before they said there's no other option, or how, before you got put on the heart transplant list? Well, that was actually March twelfth of two thousand and fourteen. Now, before that, I and correct me if I'm wrong. You had a device put in your body that would help. Correct? No, that 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 is true, but that was. The fall of 2013. Okay, so... It's called an LVAD, left ventricular assist device. And that, in, in, in a lot of cases, that's considered a bridge to transplant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, reading the articles that uh, Spectrum had written, I, I don't think I perceived I was in as bad a shape as what <laughs> they noted because uh, Dr. Dickinson, who was... Um, my cardiologist, in fact, prior to him taking over the transplant program at Spectrum, um, indicated in one of his articles that I had a month or two to live. And I'm thinking, I don't think I felt quite that bad, but I'm glad that you know they had the foresight to uh, straighten me out and put yeah. me on the right path. Did they ever come out right out and tell you that? No. Only I read it after the fact. That's always much better. I to agree. Read, read things don't tell after. me how long I have to live. <laughs> no. It felt while I was in the hospital, I was thinking, boy, this is really quite a miserable experience because my implantation of the LVAD really wasn't the problem, but I developed some secondary issues after that, after my operation. And uh, a week after I had the implant for the uh, the heart pump, that's what it's called, uh, my lung collapsed. Oh. And then um, I developed an abdominal infection, and um, I was just sick as a dog because I had an E. coli and a, what was the other one? Yeast. Yeast infection, of all things. Wow. And so I had just gotten an LVAD put in, which, which basically creates an incision at the top of your sternum mm-hmm. and underneath your breast. And so somehow these guys take a pump, sew it into the bottom of the ventricle, and then take a hose and put it into your aortic vessel above the valve. And a, a, li- a drive line comes out of your stomach with the electric cable in it, and then you have like a Batman belt. And that keeps that pump running. And when they put this in, did they say you're going to have this for a month or ten or, uh, I mean, forever? Well, there are there are people that receive that till their departure because but, they can't get a heart transplant. That's right. They They're would, not eligible for one. That would be fair to say. Yeah, uh, medically speaking, or. Physiologically, I, I, I have no idea what the criteria is for denying them a transplant. But, you know, if they have coronary disease and they're really advanced, I mean, coronary disease doesn't go away with a heart transplant. You still have coronary disease oh. or some other, you know, secondary problem. Oh, but, interesting. Okay. But my the, the pump, I think they, they installed in me because I was in critical, critical shape. But there also is the hope when they when they put these types of devices in you that they can relieve the pressure on the heart and give it a chance to heal or recover from its damages. So was there always that possibility that with rehab and then with this device that it was possible that you wouldn't need a heart transplant? 
Um, in my case, I don't think that was the case. Okay. And maybe they weren't, they didn't say that then, but now they knew that, correct? 2020, looking back. I mean, they were all sort of talking behind your back like this man's going to need a heart transplant kind of thing. Yes. And, and I, I think, um, well. And when I say talking behind your back, I don't mean that as a negative about the doctors. I just, based on the story that I read, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. that in a minute, they they anticipated right. the result. That's a better way of saying yes. it. <laughs> Thank they, you, they, anti- they anticipated the result was going to be, which it was, a transplant. Okay. Because my heart function, what happened in addition, too, is that um, a lot of folks have AFib. 40% mm. of the population has AFib. Well, I had that, too. And that was really the last straw. That happened the summer before I, I was diagnosed finally with AFib. In in uh, the first of uh, or, yeah first of June, with AFib, and that takes you know I'm 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 just kind of guessing it, it's about a thirty percent decline in heart function, because that's the uh, upper chambers and they aren't synchronized anymore with the with the left ventricle, and so the blood flow and collection is is totally disrupted, and so if I had a thirty percent ejection fraction. It had knocked it down to twenty, which is critical. Okay. And I had they had tried to uh, put me back in rhythm with a uh, uh, with a, they just shocked the heart basically and, and tried to get it back in rhythm, but it wouldn't stay in rhythm. So I think that they pretty well knew where I was headed, but they wanted to make sure that one of the reasons that for for most people that have heart heart issues. It's just generally not one organ. They have multiple things that are of, of concern. Diabetes, overweight, a smoker, you know, pulmonary hypertension, all kinds of things that really are complications for heart issues. I only had a bad heart. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you were so healthy. I mean, because of your working out and your swimming and your eating, Correct. I think I was a very good candidate on almost any given day, except that, you know, my heart was failing, and no matter what kind of shape I was in, uh, that was going to happen. But the other things, like the diabetes and all that, you were able to keep I, at I, bay because I, of... Well, I never had any symptoms. I never had any coronary disease. It's uh, not genetic? Uh, they don't believe that... Uh, cardiomyopathy is genetic what the perception I got is that my injury was caused by a heart virus Okay. and there aren't very many of them but of course I have five <laughs> apparently found one <laughs> um, if you hadn't gone in when you did yeah. um, you, you could have died from it correct? I would have What? and, and this might sound like a really strange question but what would the autopsy have said? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious if... Enlarged heart. You know, I mean, is that considered heart disease or they would have said... I, I wouldn't... You're probably covering some territory. I, okay. don't, I don't really know Sorry. the... I don't know I mean, the, I'm, I'm just yeah. thrilled that you went in. Let's just say oh, that. Yeah. Well, I, was, I was too sick to be hanging out. Okay. And too miserable to be around. Yeah. All right. I'm, that was just a weird thought in my head of, you know, you hear about people dying suddenly. Right. You could have died suddenly from that. I could have. I uh, would have gone into uh, uh, ventricular defibrillation. I mean, I would have basically my heart would have raced. So it would have looked like a heart attack in an autopsy maybe. Yep. Okay. All right. So you've got this device. And and right now I'm thinking you have already for uh, quite a while been going through a lot. Um, I'm sure not even as much as you can explain to all of us in the time that we have. What was this doing to your personal life? Well, I, I it basically gave me a new lease because um, once I got out of the hospital in, in December, it was a 36-day stay, which was more than I've ever been used to. I mean, four days was the longest I was ever in the you hospital. You were in the hospital for 36 days? Yeah. Well, I, I went in on November 14th. 
I remember this is plenty of time to think about things. <laughs> well, I, I would think you would remember just about every date going through something. Well, like not that. All, not the bad, not not all of them. But anyway, the November fourteenth, I went in um, because they wanted to do a heart cath, and um, the comment was, and there's a lot of funny things. That, I mean, I think are funny, but you know, it remains to be seen if anybody else does. But um, so we we were in. Inspector, on it was a Thursday, and and Jean and my daughter Kelly and I were there. And one of the doctors that came in to do the heart cath happened to have been one of Jean's classmates. So we started there, but uh, after the procedure was done, he said, uh, "By any chance, did you bring your overnight bag? Because <laughs> wow. you're not going anywhere." <laughs> wow. So. 36 days later. Yeah, well, that was that was just the first night. So Monday, I had a defibrillator pacemaker put in, Monday morning. And then Wednesday, for, I don't know, humorous antidotes for doctors, I guess, I had to do a colonoscopy. Oh. <laughs> Might as well check the other end. <laughs> well, it, it's all part of the procedure for a transplant. I mean, it's just they're eliminating everything. You know, they go through bone scans and, you know, psychological profiles. Might as well be a colonoscopy. So here I am with a new hole in my chest and an IV pole in the old section of the hospital. And, and I'm Having to carry her along my pole in a and go through a thirty inch door and and we for the for for most of us that know that colonoscopy is the prep is really the problem. It was yes. quite an experience. Jessica so, is too young to have had no. colonoscopy, so let's not scare. No. <laughs> anyway, the procedure itself is nothing compared to the preparation. Right. <laughs> so that was Wednesday, and then as I was getting my mojo back that night, my cardiologist, uh, Mike Dickinson came up to me and said, hey, um, we got an opening on Friday and we'd like to put in a heart pump. So I didn't even get a meal and I was already on NPO, which is not nothing prior right. to So I didn't have anything Sunday and then I did the colonoscopy and then by Friday... I was back in, in surgery, and they installed the uh, the pump. So the first whole week, wow. I probably had two meals. Wow. <laughs> Three meals. How much weight did you lose? Uh, well, I, 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 we probably should go back because I, I don't know how it went for that week. But I weighed, and I was kind of porky. I weighed 250 pounds June 1st. And I left the hospital in December 20 at 180. Woo! Wow. And that was, it wasn't, I wasn't really, I was portly, but I, I still had some muscle. And when I left, and I And you're was, tall. You're, I, you've got to be what? 6'3". Six, six, okay. Oh. So. So it was about 70 pounds in six months. Wow. And it wasn't because I was trying to lose weight it's because wow. i did lose weight wow that's why i keep an extra few pounds on me <laughs> well, buffer zone. just in case so okay so you've got all this going on you let's let's i mean i'd love to just some of this is so interesting but i really want to get to the actual getting the new heart sure um you you get the call you're 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 on the list right right you you're waiting how long did you know you were waiting to get a call? Like a week or a month or? Well, I got out of the hospital December 20, and then um, basically I was recuperating and getting my mojo back. And then in March, I went back in the hospital again. And this time it was for blood clots in my pump. Oh. And so I had the continuing infection was never under control. And, I mean, it was under control, but I was still highly medicated with antibiotics. And then the second thing that happened to me was that I had clots. And it's not the same type of clots as what you would think in, in most people. Basically, those machines destroy red blood cells, and they 
shoot them to the edge of the of the pump. And what their concern is is that the impeller would get stopped. Okay. So that was March five. I went in, and um, they told me the good news: you have to get in here right away. And so that was the beginning of another twelve days stay, and I was approached by the doctors and said, we have three options. One is you can uh, do nothing. The second thing is that you can uh, have us change out, which would mean switch the pumps. Or the third thing is we can list you. So I wasn't really in any mood to hear any of the three. And I sure as heck, after my first experience, didn't want to be going back into the hospital because... What destroyed my heart in the first place was my immune system. And so to think at that moment that, okay, I'm going to have somebody else's heart inside of me, how is that going to work out? I already ruined my own. So the doctors, and the doctors knew how apprehensive I was, especially with my experience from the uh, first 36 days. And so Every day, a different one would come in and try to pump me up. And finally, you know, the, the, I caved in. So on the 12th of March, I was listed. Okay. A, A1 status, which basically meant went to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And there are regions for heart transplants, and we're in Region 10. And the day I was listed, I was listed as number three. And so if you consider March 10 to June 18. That's the day you got the transplant on the 18th. We were called on the 17th. Okay. So to talk about getting that call. Who called you? Was it Michelle? It was, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, someone from Spectrum Health, correct? Spectrum, Spectrum Health. And, and for some reason I had a premonition that, you know, we don't get these calls. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, Jean looks at me, I look at her, and I'm thinking, oh, is this the call? And, of course, we suspected it was. Was the look one of hope or was it one of fear? You get the phone, dear. Oh. <laughs> and Jean says, no, it's your call. I said, no, no, you get the phone. <laughs> As it's ringing, it, it, no, you get it. No, yeah, you get right. it. <laughs> it, it it's, you get it. And so she Please says, leave a message. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know if I wanted to do that. So about the fourth ring, I just, I, I picked it up and it was, somebody at the other end said, um, we have a heart for you today. We want you, at seven o'clock in the morning, we want you to be here at 930. I'm thinking, it's a, you know. A 45-minute drive just to Grand Rapids. Um, I didn't eat anything for breakfast, you know. I got to call the kids, pack my bags, you know. How about 11? (laughs) That's what you said? (laughs) Really? I said, it's just going to take me that long. I mean, you just... I'm, I'm just kind of in a state of shock. I, I'm just going to take me that long to get moving again, you know. Looking back, when you tell that story, do you think how ridiculous that sounds? Or no, you're glad you said that. Well, I think <laughs> generally they they are a lot more optimistic about timing than reality. Uh, the reality of of how these things go. Well, but the, I mean, how much time? From the time they get a heart from a donor, do they have before they get it into the next person? Well, there's a six-hour removal to implantation. So that doesn't mean I'm not ready already or already in the, in the uh, emergency or in the operating room and opened up. That just means that the technology that exists today is once the heart is removed from the donor, it's six hours to having it running again. So they're not going to have the heart there and then open me up. They're going to have me ready to go. And, and then they take the heart. Well, or the heart will have, the heart would be on its way when they're opening me up. Okay. So six hours, I mean, technology is going to change that, I think. But at the moment, six hours is all the time they want it not functioning. So you tell them you'll be there at 11. What time did you get there? 
About 11. Oh. How were you feeling all that time? Uh, I, I would say uh, in the back of my mind, I was thinking about my first day, mostly. And then I'm, I'm thinking, well, this is going to happen whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood. And I just got to make sure the kids all get there safe and sound. So I really was not, I mean, I, I understand it's going to sound a little minuscule, but I wasn't as nervous for that as I was for some of the swim meets or football games that I've participated in. I, I don't know why. I just wow. had a calmness. And um, I don't think it really hit me till about midnight. Was Jean, your wife, was she as calm as you were? Are you yeah. going to say something? Yeah. <laughs> um, at that point, he had been through so much and had gone so far. We just felt this was meant to be and oh. everything was going to be fine. I've got goosebumps. Yeah. You know. Oh, so it gave you kind of a feeling of peace and oh, yeah. excitement. Yeah. You know, it was finally there. You know, he, he had been able to sustain himself for 20 years where the technology and the transplants had gotten so much better that we were ready. We knew someday he was going to have a transplant. And, you know, once the LVAD came, we knew it was going to happen. And once that, I mean, we were, we have two adjectives we, we, we used that day a lot, was terrified and excited. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which I can imagine there'd yeah. be conflicting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, you had been through a lot, both yeah. of you, I'm sure. And to finally think, wow, this could be the beginning of, you know, and I guess the other thing that, that I um, feel is, and you mentioned this in, in, your, in your book, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but that it's the conflicting um, emotions from, you know, the fact that you're, you know, someone else's, the end of their life is the beginning of yours. Talk about that a little bit. How does that feel knowing that someone else died in order to to give you their heart you know and that's one of the questions that uh, i was asked when we first did our our first public display i guess from spectrum and i don't know if i have any words to the wise to describe the gift that i was received um what i what i said at the time was i i don't think i'm capable of having that type of discourse if I were to meet the donors the family I don't know that I would have any words and so what I had said back then and remains exactly the position I would take is I wouldn't say need to say anything I would just open my arms and invite them to come listen to the heartbeat in my chest and put their hand on my wrist or in my neck to feel the pulse. Wow. And so, you know, it is, it is, a, it is a very bizarre, I mean, a bewildering emotion that, you know, someone was gracious enough or a family was gracious enough to give me, a total stranger, the opportunity to live on and uh, consider that during their time of absolute anguish. Uh, it is It is very... What a gift. It is a gift. I, I just have no way of Wait, verbalizing. I read that you said that, you know, every day when you're getting dressed in the bathroom or, or you know, getting out of the shower, whatever, you see the... The scars. The scars. I mean, it's a... Every daily thing. Brushing my teeth. Um... You know, and, and it's, it's a constant reminder of the gift of a stranger. And, you know, we, we need to, and uh, we, this happens every week, Jessica knows, she's given me the sign about time and things like that. We need more donors. Um, how, that's true. How do people um, sign up to be a donor? You can do it with your license. You can, in fact, I'm a donor. I am as well. And that's what people need well, to do your, when they get their license. Yep. You can have it noted on your license. That's correct. There's a little sticky heart or yep. yeah, donor. You, you can go online on the Secretary of State's website and also do it, and they'll send you a little heart. 
decal to, to put on your put license. on your license, or you can have it obviously or in you your. Do it if you go in the, you know, in the office. Your will, or you know, leaving leaving instructions. What if you know if something happens to me? At least the family would be right concerned or, or aware of your your concerns as far as donation. What have you learned about yourself and your marriage and um, just life in life general? Is, life is good. Life is good. I'm going to be celebrating. Uh, well, we did celebrate uh, Monday, our 35th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. 35? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We celebrated 30. Oh, well, you were young. I was. <laughs> 26. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I didn't do the math quick enough in my head. There. But yeah, that's, well, that's young. Yeah. And so um, I have two grandsons and another one expected. Oh, not supposed to say that. <gasps> <laughs> We might be able to edit that out before, yeah, before yeah, we can. Before, yeah, we, yeah <laughs> we will. Well, and we yeah, we'll talk about that. So now you swim. Let, let's yes, just touch yes. on that real real quick. You just participated, competed in yeah. the transplant Game games of America of America, yeah. and you are going to be competing in the transplant world world games in 2017. Yes, how exciting wow. is that? Quite. I mean, Quite. you go and and everybody that's competing either ha- had a transplant um what could be a a donor a donor okay they're in a different category okay and a donor. you competed in i know you took first place in four of those yeah talk about that well it may not have been fair <laughs> <laughs> why because you're so good <laughs> yes yes well yes. hey but, but you've always loved swimming, and yeah. you didn't want to give that up. That was, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the hard things about all of this is you had to give up something you really, really loved to do. Well, when I when I was implanted with the LVAD, yes. it's a hole that comes through your stomach. So I couldn't take a shower for eight and a half months oh. or swim. So mm-hmm. we had a bird bath party every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that would be tough. So that was kind of the last straw. Gene says, "Do you really want to?" Well, there's two things. One was one was uh, I couldn't swim or take showers, but I also, because I was so active, had to have a daily a daily dressing change, and so we had a intimate 45 minutes every day, <laughs> in which Gene would tear off a bandage mo- covering most of my abdomen, and of course, we always had some exciting words to describe the oh. activity. So, Could you do that, Jessica? What? Could you do that? Oh, I yeah. had to with my sister. Because she didn't have an LVAP. She just had the Milrenone pump, but you oh. still have to change that daily, the dressing on it. So, and you feel bad because after a while, you know, the yeah. skin's really sensitive and it's it's not a fun thing to be doing long term. We so. should say that we didn't know this, but Jessica's sister... Yeah, she had a heart transplant. Uh, it'll be about three years now coming up. So, but she didn't. She didn't have the Alvad. She just went straight mm-hmm. from Melrone to transplant, mm-hmm. which I think might actually probably be easier because it's one less, you know, really intense procedure that you have. I've never met anybody that's had a heart transplant, and I've got Fred sitting here, and then you tell me your sister. How many heart transplants do they do in a year? A lot. Really? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, there's only there's twenty thousand transplants a year. N- heart, not, not heart. Oh. I mean, not just heart. The heart, most, lung, kidney. kidney. Kidney's the biggest. Real only twenty thousand. Yeah. Wow, I thought it was higher than that. No, there's a hundred and twenty thousand people on waiting lists. Really? Yeah, that's a scary thing. As you're on a waiting list, you're waiting for that heart or whatever organ. organ. You don't yeah. know if you're going to get it if you're going to pass before somebody else gets it instead and of you. And then the fear of rejection. How long did you have to how long do you worry about rejection? Are you through that? Oh no. Oh. Ne- never. Never. Really? Right. I, in fact, I've had two episodes already. Wow. Well, how long has your sister had her heart, Jessica? Uh, it'll be three years in December. So Had her heart. That sounds funny. But, I mean, she still goes for follow-ups, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure everything's working right, which I'm sure you yeah. will do forever, you yeah. know. Yeah. But how long is the most – I mean, is there a crucial time and you're yeah. past that? The first year. Waking up. 
the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm well, alive. Yeah. I'm alive. And like the first, the first year, year, year to year and a half is really yeah. like the yeah. most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first. Uh, it's, it's, there, there's there's stages. They call them stages. Okay. And stages is obviously waking up would be a good one. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what would you like to say about your doctors? Because I am so in awe of what they're able to do. I mean, did you just do you just have a bond with them that you? Um, n- not not necessarily. Uh, a bond with him, as I said, you know, my cardiologist uh, was Mike Dickinson, but he didn't do the transplant. The, the gentleman, and this is this is a, a transition si- uh, situation at uh, Spectrum because the doctor that was there was Doctor Kagani, and he's a world renowned. He started the program and basically, you know, filled the seats. Uh, was reputed to have done 4,000 transplants. I was just one of them. Wow. And, you know, I asked him about it one time, and he said, um, you know, the transplant isn't, the, the, the surgery isn't that big a deal. That's plumbing. The transplant is the success of maintaining your life, you know, your, your quality of life, and the uh, addressing the issues with uh, the rejection drugs, uh, and, and you know, generally speaking, I don't know the absolute average, but most transplants is a ten-year life ex- expectancy. I mean, that's the average. You know. Do they put you on a transplant list for another heart after that? I don't if- know. I'll be. I would be over seventy, so I don't know if I'd be. But but we were at the transplant games. And people would would acknowledge different stages, and for some reason, what was a little bizarre was some people were on their third kidney. Wow! So I know they do multiples for oh. the same. St- but if you get a if you get a heart when you're a young person, I mean, really young, like under ten or something, chances are by forty you're going to need another one. Okay. And there's a professional golfer that. I don't remember what his name was, but he's he's on his second one. He got one as a teenager, and now he's getting one in. He's huh. about forty something. Wow! So it happens. Wow! Well, so many questions still left unasked, but you know, I admire your story, and um, we do. We did pick out a song um, that we're going to wrap up with. Jessica, you want to tell them what, what song we picked? Uh, it is Beating Heart by Ellie Goulding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. sort of fitting. I know. And, uh, yeah, I know. You you live in Holland, and you drove a, a long distance to be here, and you got stuck in a traffic jam. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully. And the book you wrote, where can people, can they find it on Amazon? What's it's the name in, of it? It's in process. It's in process. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, uh, I got a sneak peek at it before it's published. Oh. She got to read the first six yeah. chapters. Yeah. Very <laughs> interesting. yet. Okay, so we'll, we'll stand by for, for information when it's finished. Well, because maybe I can come back on and hawk it. Well, and, you know, <laughs> we really didn't get to this, the second half of this story, which is that on the same day in the same hospital, an old acquaintance of Fred's received lungs from the same donor. Oh, yeah. So this story blew up um, because they what they called you the uh, transplant brothers. brothers. <laughs> and they didn't know that they were both in the hospital at the same time till after they had the transplants. And so there's a whole, you know, another interesting story. Yes. yes. And how it brought them together. And, and wow. Yeah. So lots of interesting things. But we really appreciate you being here. And um, any last thing you'd like to say, Fred? How about a little prayer? How about a little prayer? Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be great. And this is for your not not just not necessarily for anyone in particular, but it's it's kind of words words to the wise. Yeah, that'd be great. May you rise each morning, renewed and refreshed. May you smile one time more than yesterday. May you dine each evening with friends and family, and may you re- seek repose in the evening with a clear conscience. That's it. Wonderful. Thank you. Great words. Thanks for being here. Um, we uh, we always like to end with a, a quote that we love. Remember, sometimes your only available transportation 
is a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Thanks for taking a leap of faith and sharing your story with us, Fred and Jean, your wife, who fortunately got you to the hospital. <laughs> Go wives of the world! Thanks so much. Thanks for being here, Jessica. We miss Jackie. She will be back next week. Can't wait to see you, Jackie. Have a great day. Happy hump day. listening to a previously recorded episode of The Nooner Show with Jackie and Denise.